For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. Welcome, everyone. Can you hear me? Yes. Uh, uh, so, um, I'm, for new people, I'm Tygen Layton, the uh, guiding teacher at Ancient Dragons Endgate, and I'm very happy to have speaking tonight uh, Co. Carol Orson from Cleveland. For those of you who don't know her, she is a member of our board and the Ancient Dragon Assistant Director. Uh, she's been a, a longtime practitioner including a practice period at Tassajara Monastery and other practices, practice periods at Green Gulch. She was lay ordained by my teacher, Reb Anderson. And um, yeah, Ko is going to talk tonight about parenting as and the Buddha way. And so for those of you who've had the benefit of coming Friday morning to our Decolonizing Consciousness uh, group, you've seen her daughter, um, Amaya, who's uh, charming. And anyway, Ko is going to talk to us about um, parenting as a practice. So thank you very much, Ko. Thank you very much. Um, Am I audible? Yeah. Yes. Good. Um, First, again, I want to thank you so much for the invitation. This is a, a wonderful opportunity for me to um, develop my um, my capacity to 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 offer the Dharma. Um, so thank you for your support showing up and also for the invitation. Um, I'd like to begin by um, calling back um, a little piece of the Metta Sutta or loving kind kindness um, uh, Sutta that we just chanted, um, which is even as a mother at the risk of her life watches over and protects her only child. So with a boundless mind, should one cherish all living things, suffusing love over the entire world above, below, and all around without limit. So let one cultivate an infinite goodwill toward the whole world. And I got to say, that's a high bar. And I think that that's, that's one of the, the great things about the teachings is they, they stretch us beyond what we think is possible sometimes. And then we drop into it and are surprised. And, but first I'd like to say that the mind of a mother is not always boundless love. And I think it's important. I think that when you have an ideal of a parent as being only in love um, and only selfless, that if some other thought arises in you, then you can feel very guilty or you feel like you're wrong and you're a bad parent. And um, there's been some, there's some talk. So, so loving kindness is one of our, um, one of our guiding stars. And Norman Fisher talked about the two um, enemies of loving kindness. There's the near enemy and the far enemy. So the the far enemy is the opposite of loving kindness or hatred um, or ill will. And um, 
And then the, the near enemy, the one that sometimes looks like the, the, what we're trying to cultivate um, is attachment. Um, so both of those will creep in as you parent, um, there's a, a psychologist, a British psychologist um, and a pediatrician who uh, was writing back in the 1940s and 50s. His name is Donald Winnicott, and I quite adore him. And uh, he, he went directly towards that there are times that a mother will hate her child. Um, and he he wrote a, a little article about that. And he said, let me give some reasons why a mother hates her baby. He is an interference with her private life, is ruthless, treats her as scum, an unpaid servant, a slave. He shows disillusionment about her. He refuses her good food, but eats well with his aunt. He tries to hurt her. And after an awful morning with him, she goes out. Then he smiles at a stranger who says, isn't he sweet? So again, it's like the reality of parenting is um, sort of constantly being insulted um, and being having unreasonable demands placed on you. And yet there is that, that upwelling of the utter love and care um, that comes from that relationship. Winnicott is also the psychologist who talked about the importance of having a holding environment for a child to, to hold the child in goodwill, even when they behave as a child does. Um, as Again, as he says, what, what is a normal child like? Does he just eat and grow and smile sweetly? No, that is not what he is like. The normal child, if he has confidence in mother and father, pulls out all the stops. In the course of time, he tries out his power to disrupt, to destroy, to frighten, to wear down, to waste, to wangle, to appropriate. And at the start, he absolutely needs to live in the circle of love and strength and tolerance. If he is not to be too fearful of his own thoughts and his imaginings and neighbor to make progress in his emotional development. So a parent needs to meet all of the emotions and reactions and, and appropriate selfishness of a child by creating a holding environment of love. The parent of course has their own reactions, which I would like, to say Zen meditation is invaluable in developing. Um, Sashin itself, I find to be a holding environment when the undigested bits of my own childhood come up and stomp around, when there's um, a, a rage or a rumination about an injustice comes up. There's something about a session or sitting together as a group that can act in a almost a parental way that an idealized parental way the forms of zazen help to reparent me so there's that quality of parenting so 
I'd like to now take us into, in some sense, the first example of, or, or the primary, a primary example of parenting in, um, in Buddhism, and that's the Buddha. So the initial story that I always heard about the beginning of Buddha's journey was, again, that he was a prince, he, all suffering was kept away from him, only the good things were around him, and something in him woke up and longed for something more, some spiritual food that was not in his, in his realm. And so he decided to leave. He, and at this point, he was married. His wife was pregnant. And he had a clear calling that this is the night I'm leaving. And the stories that I have heard have him leaving. And then someone runs and says, oh, your son is born. And the Buddha comes back and sees his, his wife and his infant hours old child and is, is stricken by having to leave. And then he names his child and he names his child Rahula, Rahula, which means better or obstacle to the spiritual path. Now, the first time I've heard this story, I was horrified. It was like, this is not, so, so, so you're going to abandon your child and give him a name of, of what I translated in my head was little ball and chain. This is, this is your, this is what you're offering your child as you leave him. Um, and it took me a while to realize that at this moment, Buddha was not enlightened, that this was, this was a young man in his twenties who had a conflict so the stories go on in the um, middle-length discourses of 61 and 62, where, where Buddha actually comes back to the palace seven years later. So Rahula is now seven. The Buddha has been enlightened for a year, now is beginning to, to gather his community together. And Buddha's abandoned wife, um, uh, Yashodara, Yasodara told Rahula to ask his father for his inheritance. And so Rahula was like, okay, dad, give me my inheritance. Um, and at first the Buddha ignored the request, but ultimately he ordained his son and he brought his seven-year-old back to the community. And saying that, that that is the inheritance, his spiritual path was the inheritance that he was now going to leave his son. And then there's the next step of then how do you train your child? So again, you have this, this Winnicott described baby of complete self-absorption. And then how do you train that child for the world? And um, there's this a story in again that middle length discourse where um i guess rahula liked playing jokes and would uh if people would come to see buddha and saw him there said oh is the buddha in and if he was in he would say no and if he wasn't in he would say yes and he just again a little kid's going to think that's very funny and the word got back to buddha that he was lying and and he thought it was a joke, but he was lying. So a few days later, um, Buddha sat down with him 
And he um, took a ladle and washed his feet. And then he asked Rahula if he saw the few drops of water left in the ladle. And Rahula replied that he did. And then the Buddha tells Rahula, this is how little understanding one has who tells deliberate lies. And then the Buddha tosses away the few drops and tells him, a person who feels no shame in telling deliberate lies has tossed away their mindfulness. And then he turns the ladle over and tells his son, a person who feels no shame in telling deliberate lies has turned their mindfulness upside down. And then he shows Rahula the empty ladle and says, whoever feels no shame in telling a deliberate lie is empty and hollow as this ladle. And anyone who feels no shame in telling deliberate lies is capable of any wrongdoing. Train yourself, Rahula. I will not tell a deliberate lie for any reason, even as a joke. And then he asked him, do you know what a mirror is for? And he replied, and, and Rahula replied, for re reflection, sir. And then the Buddha responds, in the same way, your thoughts, words, and deeds must be done with constant reflection. Reflect in this manner. Is this thought, word, is this thought, word, or deed skillful? Will it lead to harm for myself or others, or will it lead to release? Will this thought, word, or deed bring more suffering for myself or others, or will it have a peaceful result? If upon reflection, your thoughts, words, and deeds will have peaceful results, then this is fit for you and fit for a person developing understanding. Rahula, all who purify their minds through continual reflection will do so in just this way. You should train yourself just this way through continual mindfulness of your thoughts, words, and deeds. So he, he taught him both a sense of ethics, of, of the way to treat other people, but also he taught him um, a sort of independence. Uh, he, he, he told him he was to not just follow a list of rules, but to reflect deeply on how to be in the world. And this is a real gift for a child to have ultimate faith that they will be able to, to know for themselves. I and mean, once you, you have taught them the right way to interact in the world, the situation will always be different and to allow them the capacity to have self-reflection is, is a real gift. Um, of a parent. Um, there are several more talks about him as he grows up. And I think that I'll just be moving on to the next um, section that I want to talk to in, in another one of our uh, lineage holders, um, who is um, Dogen. Um, Dogen Zenji, the 12th century um, or 13th century, he was born in 1200. His, um, he was orphaned young. His father died when he was two, his mother when he was seven. He, um, the story is at his mother's funeral when he saw the smoke of the incense rising, he realized the impermanence of things. And it also, like the same age as Rahula at seven, 
he had this he he moved towards or being ordained he could have gone through into the palace and had a um a perhaps clerical job through family connections but he moved towards um becoming ordained and um ultimately again in his story he's dissatisfied with the way buddhism was taught in his early 20s goes to china studies in zen comes back and he starts his own monastery which is very parental as far as we know, Dogen had no children, but this was a really violent time. And I imagine him collecting orphans in a lot of ways and, and, and being a parental figure for them in, in the monasteries. And one of his um, important early works is Instructions to the Cook. And I just want to hold up a couple of things in there. Um, when you handle water, rice, or anything else, you must have the affectionate and caring concern of a parent raising a child. Which again, he I don't think he ever did personally, but I think he understood that caring. I think that he was cared and loved by his mom in the first seven years so he could meet the world in that way. Um, he also talks about the three attributes or qualities of mind for a mature Buddhist in a, in a position such as Tenzo, Tenzo or chief cook. Um, it's Kishin or jo joyful mind, Daishin or magnanimous or large mind, and Roshin, which is parental mind and sometimes translated as grandmother mind. And he had a, a monk, um, Tetsu Gikai, and he became a, a main, main lineage holder um, and he started his own monastery, was an abbot there. And he, he was one of those guys who got things done. I mean, you asked him to do something and he could make it happen with building constructions. He was Tenzo and at a time that there were between monasteries and he would go out and gather food. But the thing that Dogen kept saying is you don't have parental mind. You don't have grandmother mind. You need to develop that. That was very important that as we move forward as a community, that we have that parental caring quality. Um, so let's see. I want to talk a little bit about my a few of my experiences. Um, as a parent, I have a 25 and a 27-year-old. Uh, before I got married, I went to a retreat with Thich Nhat Hanh and received the precepts from him, well, the five, um, only five precepts, but with, with him. And Thich Nhat Hanh was very warm and very sweet there's a sweetness to him and after receiving the precepts he said that we, there, there is a requirement to maintain this living lineage with him and and if you go three months without reciting the precepts this transmission is severed and the way he, i mean it was like it was like serious it was like the, the, the he, he was not messing around with that it, and i'd never heard that tone of voice from him so i took it very seriously 
And then I came back to Cleveland. I, this was at a retreat actually outside of Chicago in 93, I believe. Came home, was dutifully, had my little booklet. I recited it. I didn't have a Buddhist Sangha here. And then my son was born. And then I got, I was working full time, having an infant. And at one day I woke up and realized that more than three months had gone by and that precious trans transmission had been severed. And, and so I had my own little hindrance to spiritual practice, my own little ball and chain um, in some sense with that. Um, I wouldn't trade it. I understand why it happened, but I also do understand that there it is a difficult thing to maintain a focus on your spiritual practice when you're thrown into the everyday life of being a parent. And yet, I think that my practice is stronger for my parenting, um, that there's a certain challenge that comes every day in working with a child. So as some of you know, I, I, um, I have my 25 and 27 year old and then felt a, a real calling to become a foster parent. And we have, uh, we're living with us right now, our, our little Zen master, um, who's uh, 20 months old and she's been with us since she was nine days old. So she, we're now in the process of adopting, we're, we're I guess what's called a failed foster uh, family in that um, it's, it's, we were hoping mom would stabilize and mom didn't stabilize. So she, she, we're now her parents in, in, in any meaningful sense. And um, there's a quality of, oftentimes with children, I find that, that you always want to be doing something else that you really like them to, to just be distracted over there. So you can clean up, this portion of the kitchen or get an email off or take a bath. Um, so, so that continually comes up, but I find myself letting myself being with her as if I was sitting in meditation and, and instead of focusing on my breath, focusing on her and it's a beautiful meditation. It's, it's a, 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 a a delightful and surprising way of being just letting mind rest on her activity and what she wants to do next and not to interject some other thing that I desire. Um, so that's been a, a lovely recent practice. I didn't do that with my own children, uh, my own birth children. Um, and there's also something about, I'm now of an age that I'm at grandmother mind and and it's, it's got less ego in it, um, I'm finding. And I don't know if it's because I have practiced. I, I have had the, the blessing of having been to Tassajara and Green Gulch and developed some practice there. But, or if it's just age. <laughs> but, like, I used to discipline my children because I'd want them to make me look good. So I, I wanted them to behave well at story hour to show that I was a good parent. And now when I discipline Amaya, it's um, because if she continues this behavior, it will not serve her. Um, that it's, 
it's seeing a larger picture and it's not so sticky. Um, there isn't the same attachment. Um, uh, one of the things that uh, occurred to me was that um, that the as a mother over, looks over her only child and protects them, there was one time that my son, who had these pink pink socks that he loved, he loved his pink socks. Those were the so- he was in preschool. They were when he was in preschool, he would wear these socks when he was happy. And then he was going to kindergarten. It was public school. And I, you know, I was a little, he was wearing his pink socks. I didn't know if he would be, oh, it's kindergarten. I thought just lighten up. And that day after school, he came out weeping because a couple of girls had mercilessly teased him for wearing pink socks. And my instincts was to to go and hurt those girls. You know, that I just um, that I wanted to protect, but that was that was clearly this desire to protect, but protect by sweeping away anything that might be difficult for my children. And at this point, I'm learning that while I'm doing that meditation of watching my toddler rather than my breath and she's trying to work on a puzzle and she's getting frustrated because she can't get the starfish in the right position I, I I feel myself wanting to go in there and and rotate it so she can just smoothly put it in but then she won't learn anything so to have again in my meditation I've learned to be able to just sit with stuff with my frustration and give it space which allows me to bring that same capacity to sitting with my toddler and give her frustration or her rage or her, all those things that Winnicott describes that a child goes through, just have some space for that um, and have some space for my own reactions. Like if I'm bitten, um, which has happened, um, I don't necessarily have an immediate loving response. Um, but ultimately, I can bring it back. I can bring it back to the repair and to a larger space. Um, thanks in many ways to this um, this wonderful practice that we have um, now been given access to. So the only other thing that was rising for me was um, the monk um, Yunmen. Um, towards the end of his life, uh, ninth century uh, Zen master said, um, what are the teachings of a whole lifetime? And Yun Men said an appropriate response. And that is so true with parenting, that it's important to see where your child, your infant, an appropriate response to an infant is not the same response as a to-, to a toddler. And last week's appropriate response is not this week's appropriate response. So it looking for what is the appropriate response and what skillful means are is, is the opportunities to, to try and fail again and again on that um, is, is um, parenting is, is uh, has a wealth of those opportunities. Um, so as any other things we do in our life, frankly, but um, there's a, an intimacy and a dailyness and, and a, it's very visceral and very, very close um, to, to, to see those and see where we're stuck and see 
all the things that we need to continue to work on plus the possibility for joy if you just kind of laugh at yourself a little bit around that the importance of uh, a little levity and space um, as we move through our parenting journey so I would love to hear anybody's responses um, any stories of your parenting or being parented and um, thank you all for your kind attention Thank you so much, Ko. Um, so helpful. Uh, please, anyone who has comments, responses, questions, please feel free. Uh, and Jerry, you can call on people there or online. Patrick, uh, you you are doing some parenting, I believe. Please go ahead. <laughs> Yes. Um, cool. Thank you uh, so much uh, for your talk tonight. Uh, it resonated very well. Um, I'm currently sitting here watching my five-month-old sleep <laughs> for the night. Um, and, um, you know, I... Um, I've been, uh, there's a book that I, I was reading as well uh, called Everyday Blessings, and it's by um, um, John Kabat-Zinn and his wife, Myla, and, and he wrote Full Catastrophe Living. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Everyday Blessings book is about um, parenting uh, from a, a Zen standpoint, uh, and it, it, it really resonated with, with what you were talking about in that um, uh, parenting is a practice uh, in that um, uh, you need a practice like um, Zazen uh, to help. Um, and then the other, uh, given that it's a practice, uh, giving yourself a lot of grace, um, it's, uh, it is very um, difficult. <laughs> Um, but the other thing too is um, it's a two-way street uh, in that I'm learning um, wildly difficult lessons from um, my daughter, and the most challenging is she'll be screaming bloody murder that she wants to get out of her crib that she's done with her nap, um, <laughs> and I might be in the middle of trying to complete something. And I'm getting, I'm just, oh, just give me one more minute. Um, And I'm getting more frustrated. (laughs) And then I come in and she could be as red as a tomato with tears uh, on her face. And the moment she sees me, it's like a light switch flips and it's just smiles and laughter while I'm still Uh stewing. Um, And so being able to, um, to have that wonderful flexibility um, is inspiring. Yeah. But thank you so much for your talk. Thank you. Thank you for your parenting. (laughs) I just want to say one of the things that rose for me is, is that 
not only giving yourself grace, that one of the things that being in the soup of parenting can give you is a grace going back the other way um, that you can start forgiving your parents for all of their flaws as well. And all of the things that they did that you thought were just hurtful and, and were hurtful. I mean, if you're hurt, you're hurt, but that, that they're given a little bit larger context. And I, I, my parents did not have uh, Zen retreats under their belts. Um, they, they had a very different um, mindset. Dylan. Hi, Co. I don't think you can see me, but hopefully you can hear me. I can hear you fine. Uh, thank you for a really wonderful talk. Um, so I I am not a parent. I've, I've managed to have glimpses of it, though, through uh, the times when Amber's three young girls come and visit us. Uh, and they'll yeah. stay for a series of days at a time. Uh, and basically live with us for, you know, up to a week for a couple of times throughout the year. Um, and that's a new experience for me. Uh, but it's one that I've, that's been really transformative. Um, uh, cause I learned pretty quickly that like the kids actually teach you who you are, you know, cause I, you start thinking about, well, what is it? What am I trying to teach them? What, like, what am I yeah. trying to, and then you start thinking about, well, what's important and like, what, how do you, how do you say what's fair and why, and how do you communicate that in a way that they're going to understand? And you, you're going to communicate it in a way that they're going to understand. you got to really boil it down to the, the essentials of it, you know, which, and you got to make it so simple that it's like, um, easy to understand, but, but, you know, when you're an adult, you can kind of a lot of your language can hide behind nuances, you know, um, which you can't do when somebody's four, you know. Uh, so that's that, that's been amazing, and I uh, I think I've also been taught a lot about um, uh, letting go because you know, like there's especially when you can feel that there's like a really magic moment happening, like. Uh, Amber's daughter, uh, uh, Mina, was really into this game called Keepy Uppy last time she was here, where there would be, we got these, we got these balloons to celebrate her birthday. And the balloons, you know, she got presents too, but the balloons ended up being the star of the time she was there. Like the yeah. whole week was just playing with balloons. Um, and so she really wanted to play this game where you just keep the balloon up in the air with her. And then, uh, you know, then it turned into a game where it wasn't just me and Maya playing. It was Amber, me, or not Maya, um, Mina. It wasn't just me and Mina playing. It was Amber, Mina, and me playing. And then it was Violet, who's the oldest sister, and Mina and me and Amber playing. And so then, then I start getting a little teary because this is like, this is, this is like something that I remember for a long time, you know? And I, and I can feel that this is like, you know, a powerful moment, but I'm also feeling at the same time that I know that I can't hold on to her or get it back again. You know, that when this game of keep is over, that it's going to be over. And that maybe the next time they come here, that this is a game that they will never want to play again. 
you know, mm-hmm. and that you can't, you can't hold on to any of these moments. But you, so like the, the, it's not bittersweet. It's something deeper than that. Of like, when you know you're in, a, in a, something magic like that, but you're also pre- preparing yourself to let go for when this moment ends um, mm-hmm. as they're, as they're growing up. Or, or, or not preparing yourself because it can't, you can't be prepared for you. It, if you're preparing yourself for it to end, you won't be in it before it ends. Yeah. It's just to be with it as it ends and know that it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lovely story. And I'm also thinking about the, the, your last uh, Dharma talk and, and uh, the discussion of the dilemma of when to hold on and when to let go of, as far as disciplining goes. Um, yeah. And again, that's always by what's the appropriate response. And, and sometimes it's important to let go and, of, of the discipline and just say, okay, I'm not going to, this is not the fight I'm picking. And sometimes it's really important just to keep that one going. This is, this is a clarity. I'm like Buddha with a lie, you know, and he just like hammered it. (laughs) And, and, and he did it, you know, in a a real skillful way of saying, you shouldn't do this. He said, a person who does this, you know, has no mindfulness. A person who does this, who feels no shame at lying can do anything. And, um, and then, so it was a little deflected, but it was pretty clear. Um, so, and, and the the other thing, there was one time that I was in a Dokusan with Reb, and was talking about my daughter, and talking about my daughter in the past, and he pointed out to me that that my daughter in the past was already dead, that she was never coming back. That the three-year-old um, Miranda, my my older child, is is has died, has is no longer in existence, um, which made room for the four-year-old Miranda, which made room for the you know so all of these um, phases again die. I'm just going to say die to mm-hmm. to make room for the next one and to and again it you so you grieve. The loss of the three-year-old but you rejoice in the in the showing up of the four-year-old yeah. any other questions comments or insights Oh, I'm just wondering how, in terms of bringing that back into your zazen practice, how do these uh, insights or or ways of seeing your relationship with your children how how does that reflect in terms of how you uh, care for or treat yourself? Does that make sense? Hmm. Yes, I think it does. Um, I think that what I care for in Zazen, I 
I think like many people in Zazen, when they see the strictness of the form, get a little macho in it. Mm-hmm. Um, they want to be the best Zen student. They want to have the right posture. They want to show up for every, you know, and 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 punish their little bodies in, in doing that. Um, and I think that there comes a time again when the, the especially in an aging body, right? That there's a point where you can't be, you can't be like that, that 20 year old over there who is like, wow, is doing their sitting. Whoa. Um, <laughs> that this is, is softening a little bit. And oddly there, there's this like hand holding between the little girl, Carol, and this 60 year old Carol who. who lives on in this body right so so yes the three-year-old is dead but the three-year-old isn't dead the three-year-old is still there um (laughs) so there's a little bit more of a tenderness that can rise in in sitting at this point rather than a a just wanting to look good or prove something or be better than (laughs) nothing worse than wanting to be better than the the person sitting next to you um (laughs) so thank you Thank you. Um, I guess I'll make a, a con- I know we're close to time, but um, I think I kind of had the opposite problem. I mean, we're Mike and I are not going to have children. Um, nor are, in fact, most people in our, our friends group. Um, but I, I find that I have to stop myself from being a parent to my friends. <laughs> um, so maybe that's the lesson that, that I need to learn is that I can look at my friends and say, yeah, if they continue this behavior, it won't serve them in the future. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it is not my place to tell them that. Right or or to encourage them in a in a kind friendly way, uh, but in a non parental way, and I think I sometimes in the past have overstepped that because um, I just do find myself in in a parent role in a friend group for for whatever reason that may be. So uh, I don't know that I'm making a point there, but all of which is to say that. Yes, it's all about appropriate response. Yeah, and and I, I'm glad that you spoke because the parental journey is not just for those of us who have uh, birthed children or you know help start a child. Um, uh, it, the, there is that of the parent in each of us. I mean, it's it's, it's an archetype that is very central, whether or not you've given birth or not. And it, it manifests in the way we treat our friends or, again, for Dogen's a wonderful example because he, he so valued parental um, qualities. Um, but again, I think you're absolutely right as part, because a lot of times if you get that parental voice, the first thing people are going to do is reject it because they're going to have their, their inner teenagers still working. <laughs> too. Um, so what is it to have the friendly loving kindness of the same size as opposed to um the i know better um quality 
in in your in your same size relationships. But it's really su- sweet that you have that parental impulse. I just want to hold that up too. Well, I, I hope it's sweet and not too often condescending. So I'd just like to add that Wade is going to be a sewing teacher and Mike is Tenzo. And both of mm-hmm. those are places where you are caring like a parent. Yeah for bodhisattvas and nourishing them. So in some ways, mm-hmm. <laughs> just when you thought you were going to get out of here, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> yeah. What lovely jobs for you too. Thank you. Thank you for serving in that way. <laughs>